Today on the podcast, we would like to mourn the passing of a very influential figure whose work was known, I would say, all around the world, across mm, borders, but sure. specifically for remaking Europe in the latter half of the 20th century. Oh, yeah. Touched mm. lives, countless lives. Yeah. And of course, we are talking about a heartfelt RIP to Sticky Vicky, That's right. the most famous stripper in Benidorm, mm. uh, who has transformed Anglo-Spanish relations. <laughs> <laughs> One of Britain's finest exports. Uh, no, she was Spanish. Really? Hey, what? Yeah, she was oh. Spanish. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. Well, in any case, uh, she certainly, uh, you know, made made Britishness her own <laughs> by yeah. entertaining the people of Benidorm by at one time pulling a lit light bulb out of her vagina. Which is... <laughs> yeah, which... the, the, the list of things that this woman ejected from her vagina. You yeah. Know? yeah. Henry Kissinger could never. No, the list of things he, that Henry Kissinger rejected from his vagina, much, much shorter. <laughs> yeah. No, uh, we are also, of course, uh, commemorating the passing of Henry Kissinger. Pew, 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 pew. Gamer horns, you know, we got him. He's finally been compromised to a permanent end. Yeah. yeah. Died Old at the age, age of... finally got him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Someone found his, his, like, you know, phylactery or whatever, you know, and finally his, like, lich existence has ended. Yeah. One of the, one of the uh, people who I think is single-handedly responsible for the greatest backsliding of human dignity, mm -hmm. democracy, um, at, at any kind of quality of life, or even simply just simple comfort yeah. for millions of people throughout well, the world has finally fucking died. The thing is, right, he's still racking up numbers. He's still putting points on the board, even post-mortem, mm -hmm. because there's still like landmines in Cambodia or whatever that are going to kill people, which means that the the mob of people currently beating him to death in hell is only going to get larger. <laughs> it hasn't peaked yet, you know? Yeah. You I, can die in Cambodia and your kill cam will just show a grave and you're like, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> How has this even happened? <laughs> No, uh, I and I like to I like to think that uh, he is he is one of the waiters at Sticky Vicky's table of success. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, listen, it's been a mixed day for. He's deaths. picking up the world's slimiest jug. <laughs> <laughs> we've we've had Henry Kissinger, which rest in piss, obviously. Mm -hmm. uh, Sticky Vicky, uh, Shane McGowan, and Alistair Darling. Yeah, which I mean, what a dinner party! <laughs> sort of alarming blunt rotation. <laughs> yeah, although yeah. I, I I think that the uh, the observation of where was Liz was Liz Truss in Benidorm a few days ago. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I think I think we can trace back every human being who's ever died to Liz Truss. Mm. You know, I I don't think it's unlikely that Liz Truss is aware of the work of Sticky Vicky. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right. Enough e enough um, enough trash future obits. Uh, mm. Let's let's bring in our guest. We are joined. My many-time returning champion, the host of Tech Won't Save Us, it is Paris Marx here to talk about Elon Musk as part of having done his Elon Musk Unmasked series, looking into the childhood beyond the Emerald Mine. Let's say, Paris, <laughs> welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me back. Um, yeah, you know, unfortunately, we're talking about Musk again, but that's it. That's my life. So <laughs> happy, happy Kissinger Death Day. First, thank you, thank you. It's a you know a great event to celebrate. So yeah, well, this excited. is the thing. People, people on Twitter kind of go like, um, oh well, you know, he he won, right? There's nothing to celebrate now that he's dead because he died at the age of a hundred, surrounded by family, mm. uh, never faced any consequences. But on the other hand, have you no joy in your heart? He's dead. I'm not. Who's the real winner? <laughs> but I, also, I did notice, like, you know, uh, as we talk, you know, he, he died yesterday. And I, I saw a number of people, like, commenting on Twitter, like, oh, old Twitter is coming back for a night because everyone's going to be posting about Kissinger. But it still didn't feel, like, the same. Like, Musk destroyed it so thoroughly that, yeah, like... It was no Trump getting COVID. No, uh -huh. absolutely not. Uh -huh. So, uh, speaking on that question, though, today we are going to be asking the question... Does the silent basketball weigh the same as a regular basketball? <laughs> yes. Why is JP Morgan no longer telling me about their range of investment opportunities anymore? How come it is just 
Neom and the silent basketball on Twitter. <laughs> well, that, that's how Henry Kissinger died. He didn't hear the silent basketball coming. <laughs> what's the com- silent basketball that kills you instantly? What's, that's com- right, what's yeah. coming out on Disney Plus? I have no idea, but I'm filled with questions about the silent basketball. <laughs> well, it's the, it's the series about the silent basketball. Um, and I, I think, real, really, the way to answer that question about the silent basketball. Mm. Um, and how come we're seeing that instead of all the J.P. Morgan ads? Yeah. Uh, mm. Ultimately, you used is... to get ads for fucking Patek Philippe on Twitter. You know, you you. This is the luxury watch that you never really own, kind of thing. And instead of that, now it's th- anabolic dwarves. Uh, yeah, the anabolic yeah. dwarves, the silent basketball. I tell you what, if you gave an anabolic dwarf a silent basketball, they would be a formidable <laughs> adversary. I'll say that much. <laughs> We've worked out a way in the first 10 minutes of this to make the NBA a hundred times more entertaining. Yeah, but, uh, there's nothing in the rules that says an anabolic dwarf can't play with a silent basketball. There absolutely is so much in the rules that says that. <laughs> what about, <laughs> is it just the anabolic part? <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a big part of it. You can't be choosing. Yeah. Well done anti-doping agency world anti-silent basketball but then again being a dwarf is such a disadvantage in basketball I feel like it kind of cancels out I can't show up to the NBA and be like I'm shit at basketball (laughs) juice me up (laughs) yeah they should be to even the playing field alright I want to bring it back equity in basketball (laughs) that's what I want When I when I said Henry Kissinger uh, was a lich and I talked about his phylactery, I meant in the D and D lich sense of the thing that holds a lich king's soul. Uh, it was not anti-Semitic. <laughs> Thank you. That's fine. Okay, well, I want to. Mm. We're going to bring it back. Uh, so so coming coming back though is I think we can say the silent basketball question is the same really as the why is Elon Musk like that. Mm. Uh, we're going to find those answers in the same places. Mm. Sure. But first. I want to do a little bit of news uh, because Love news. there is a, a Who's new- died now. <laughs> well, <laughs> is it well, about my basketball? Uh, it is not. No, it is th- <laughs> rather that the the IDF uh, is, is taken to screening a film of the events of October seventh to mm. select journalists and influencers. Only the most credulous journalists and for Owen a long Jones. time. Uh, yeah, there were like <laughs> two. This people. is very funny. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm not sure how many followers I need to have before they'll show me the snuff movie. I mean. This is interesting, right? Because what they're showing it publicly in some places as well. I I think they were after a while, but the first wave of it was very, very strictly controlled. Secret cinema, the IDF stuff (laughs) film, pretty much. And and you saw only the reactions to it. So you'd Mm. see like a photo of like a a guy in the Nesset like crying, or you'd see a guy tweeting who's like, "Yeah, this is the worst thing I've ever seen in my life." And like, Mm. I'm sure it's very bad. Live footage of the Wonka premiere. Yeah. (laughs) On the other hand, I open my phone and I see like you know footage of a bunch of like decomposed babies in in incubators in Palestine, and I'm like. Okay, one of these gets the treatment of this is too terrible to tell you about, and the other one has to be surrounded by fifty guys with camera phones because they know otherwise you will not believe it. Mm. So, mm. and I, I think it's notable to say, right, that again the the media story around this mm. is that Owen Jones went to go see the film, sure, was then seen by other journalists taking uh, other sort of columnists taking notes at the film. I don't do that. It's an emotional experience well, well, rather in, than in a fact, journalistic one. It, w- it was then accused by, mm. I believe, Zach Goldsmith, former mayor or candidate for London, uh-huh. say, "Oh, you're taking notes to nitpick and find holes because you are not empathizing because you are," and then heavily implying because you either don't care about people uh-huh. or you support Hamas or mm. you're cynical, et cetera, et cetera, which has then led, and others have then sort of joined in to say, oh, look. Of course, you can start up. Owen yeah. Jones is a very easy target to start the ball rolling on, yeah. you know? Mm. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you say, oh, he was taking notes in this thing. Everyone else who already hates him hears he was tying on the Hamas headband yeah. in the screening. Indeed. <laughs> Owen Jones showing off to all of the other British journalists who can neither read nor write. <laughs> okay, look, we get it. Yeah, I mean, it, the, the existence of the snuff movie itself is so weird to me because in that first phase, where they were showing it only to people who would be relied upon not to take notes and to only empathize. Mm-hmm. What they were doing, they trauma bonded people. They did the, the shit that they do in like police academies where they show you a bunch of body cam footage of cops getting shot, right? Where it's like, okay, you're all now uh, a, a sort of a shared owner of this trauma, like, you know, live with mm-hmm. that. And it's like, Catastrophically irresponsible, apart from anything mm. else. And and the and the and frequently, right? What Owen Jones did by going in and taking notes is mm. saying, "Well, this was very, very bad. I don't endorse anything that happened in sure. here." However, some people are saying some stuff in this movie that's it's not in this movie. 
Yeah. And then by saying that again, it's like, oh, you're trying to justify Hamas. What actually is happening, of course, is that this is ongoing justification of the collective punishment of Gaza. Mm. And it and but and by showing it in the way that they have, it means that anyone who disagrees with these people is responded to with an extremely high emotional register. Yeah. You can no longer talk about what actually happened. No, because you can always appeal to this kind of footage that not a lot of people have seen and go. Uh, oh, oh, so you don't believe yeah. in some of the more like baroque kind of atrocities? I couldn't even begin to say what was in yeah, it. it was so yeah, horrible. Yeah. Therefore, yeah. everything is permitted. Let's just say it involved a harpsichord. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's almost like so it further kind of justifies that divide that exists between like the media and I would say a lot of the public on the issue as well, right? Because mm. the media can say, "Oh, I've seen these things that you can't imagine." So this justifies the fact that like in all of our reporting, we're so much more kind of pro-Israel than a lot of the public seems to be in supporting mm. ceasefires and things like that. It's right? it's a weird kind of forfeiting of the public, you know? I, I mean, I, I think that uh, Israeli PR has been fucked on this for, for a, well, since it happened, more or less. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think a lot of people who are very online and who are just like, you know, ordinary members of the public or God forbid podcasters are getting the sort of like unvarnished uh, whether you want it or not, combat footage of like, or you know, atrocity footage of dead kids being pulled out of buildings and so on in, in Palestine, uh, and the counter to that is uh, this, you know, kind of curated movie that you can't see. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, tr- and you know, and beyond that, right? It's the and whatever. When we're talking about the media, we're mm-hmm. talking about like papers like the Express, yeah, for example, which oh, is yeah. now what ran a headline, the paper of record, <laughs> which ran a headline, right, saying. Owen Jones told to seek help over deeply morally repugnant and wrong Hamas claims. Uh-huh. Again, the, the idea that this is the, the British press is so baffling that it is a willing, so dripping in venom that it's willing to declare war on one guy. Yeah, well, I mean, the, the thing is, it's guy, always Owen Jones. Yeah, a guy who already has, like, had his life directly yeah. threatened by people riled up by the newspaper. I mean, look, I'm sure the footage is horrible, right? I also think that showing it to British tabloid journalists, if you're showing British tabloid journalists footage of a child being murdered, their first instinct will be to hack that child's voicemail. Mm-hmm. It's not... Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I, forgive me if I don't believe some of the pieties if they're coming from the fucking express. Mm. Showing British columnists footage of the thing that they are most terrified of. It's like it's like Room Run 101 in the Ministry of Love. You know, they walk in there and it's just a video of the barman at the Chilton Firehouse saying, sorry, mate, you can't have any more Chardonnay. I think you've had enough. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, all, all of this comes back to, yeah, if it being being said, well, if you if unless you take the maximalist emotive line on this saying mm. everything mm. is justified, then you are a Holocaust denier. Sure. And again, people are saying that to him, forgetting that that, that these things have meanings. Yes. <laughs> and that, that's a dis- easily disprovable well, claim. No, not if you don't want them to. How I'd about that? It, it's fine. We can just kind of like uh, fuck a large amount of historical memory and context of the Holocaust in favor of like a kind of a cheap PR win on this yeah. one. Well, yeah. speaking of a cheap PR win, mm, uh, shall we mm. move on, of course, to the main topic of today? Elon, you're going to go out on stage and you're going to make nice with everybody and it's going to go great, right? <laughs> I am Lindy Acarino in this, by the way. Uh, yeah. I, I, saw, I saw a motherboard headline today. It was like, Elon Musk gave a totally normal interview. <laughs> no, he didn't. <laughs> he can't hold it together. This is the least holding it together man. He can't yes. do it. Yeah. And I mean, once again, you just have to praise, if nothing else, I think the real star of the ongoing Elon Musk Twitter story is Linda Yaccarino, who who was, while Elon Musk was telling Bob Iger to go fuck himself, but from the right, essentially, Uh uh, was thinking about... Maybe if I hashtag espresso. (laughs) And it all happens on X. Yeah. Yeah, Bob, Bob Iger, the guy who wrote, take your old records off the shelf. Yeah, so well, at, Elon's going to get the Iger sanction. Yeah, yeah, yeah. At, at this right. point, I'm starting to think that JP Morgan doesn't have a wet work team. Yeah, we, mm. we expected it, right? And we... Uh, well, they all retired after doing Maxwell. <laughs> we believed that we lived in a more corporate dystopia than we do, which is you know forgivable for us because we see a lot of it. And we thought the second Elon goes up against like Google or whatever, they will have him bone sword. 
not so. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, he's he's fine. He's still going, yep. and he's riding this all the way down. He has taken a huge amount of Saudi and big bank money yep. mm-hmm. on the basis and of those guys haven't even bone sorted. Yeah, yet. he's had the sense not to walk into the Saudi embassy for a shit chat. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. uh, Let's just say you won't Saudis, walk out though. forwards. Yeah. Because yeah. if like if like the myth is destroyed at Twitter, then like. Tesla and SpaceX, they all go with it, right? Mm-hmm. So there's a whole load of other people like invested in him. Well, hang on, though. The inherent value of a, of a company like Tesla, there's no way that could go under, right? Yeah. I mean, if there's any <laughs> company in the stock market that's not overvalued. <laughs> well, I heard that the, when the Cybertruck finally gets released en masse, it's going to make it a trillion-dollar company. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> yeah. This is the thing with the Cybertruck, right? There is, theoretically, there is a number that you can put up, a number of L's before it becomes untenable for Elon. Maybe a very large number, but he's racking them up. And that's he's he's got Welsh train station number of L's. <laughs> so, yeah. Ferris, why don't you just fill us in, right, on what, what happened on November 15th that sort of... Oh, there's a film, but you can't see it. That sort of mm. kicked all of this off. Um, and, and how does that play into the lawsuit that he is, uh, let's say, both experiencing and prosecuting? And how did that culminate in him going to Israel in order to meet Isaac Herzog? <laughs> it's it's a wild series of events, like when you put it like that, you know. Um, you know, obviously, I think everyone knows by now that Elon Musk loves to reply to crazy conspiracy theories and spread them himself like Pizzagate recently um, mm. on his platform. It's an old one. I know, yeah, but, but they're seeing how you know, far they can radicalize him. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> is, As a joke. Is he going to start believing like, I, I don't know. Is he going to become a free soiler at some point? Yeah, probably. Mm. <laughs> but anyway, so he replies to this tweet where this random like Twitter blue check guy, which now means, you know, just a dude who paid $8 or whatever for a blue check. We have verified that you are a dumbass. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, you know, it was basically saying, uh, I can't remember the exact tweet, but it was something like the ADL or, or some Jewish groups kind of support uh a bunch of migrants coming into the United States and they hate Jews and want to eradicate yeah. Jews or something like that. Um, and Elon Musk kind of replied and was like, yeah, you're totally, you totally got it. And this, this guy also said um, that he doesn't have any sympathy for uh, Jews who basically support migration or mass migration because it's these kind of really right-wing conspiracy theories that, you know, the idea is that um, there are all of these brown people basically coming into the United States that are doing the white genocide, the great replacement. Um, Jews are organizing that. And uh, Elon Musk is like, yeah, this makes total sense. Um, you know, we all know that this is happening because he's obsessed with birth rates and he's obsessed with uh, population mm-hmm. stuff. And he's a and crime fucking racist. Because yeah, he's, that he's too. Very right? racist. Yeah. Well, he, yeah. He's also he is also obsessed. He's be, he's gotten, I think, the Babylon Bee brain, mm-hmm. which is he is obsessed. And he did it to himself. Yeah. Yeah, he, he plugged he, the firehose of shit into his own brain. Yeah, and, and where he he basically believes everything liberals don't believe. Yeah. Uh, because they are stupid and he is smart. Right. Mm. It's a, it's it's the simple contrarianism. Yeah. And so, of course, he'll he'll endorse the Great Replacement Theory because he knows liberals don't like it. Yeah. It's just, again, you if you get so and we're going to come back to this a few times, I think if you get so sucked in to just that right wing echo chamber, that extremely a, weird, mm. a very particular kind of right wing echo well, chamber. Because he was in one before, yeah. but it was quite an elite one where it was yeah. like, you know, the, you know, Peter Thiel and his sort of like various like speakers like Mensch's mold bug or whatever yeah. and you get that kind of like elevated form of racism where you can say all the racist things in private but there's it keeps a kind of like lid on it that's now boiled over into mm-hmm. elon is replying to cat turd too being like actually electric cars are based but i do agree with you about the great replacement yeah. well i think <laughs> we can agree the real great replacement will be when the cyber truck comes out and there's a massive factory recall <laughs> <laughs> so but it i think and this is this what you know what this reminds me of right this mm. his inability to see that like this you uh, uh, this isn't common sense to most people yeah is it's like when lawrence fox got himself sued for calling multiple people pedophiles mm. because he believed that pointing out something that he said was racist was as contentless as baselessly calling someone it's, a pedophile it's it's, it's well worn radicalization yeah. stuff it's just that this is an extremely like high value target for radicalization indeed it's genuinely amazing that lawrence fox in britain was able to fire off the shotgun approach of calling people at random pedophiles and miss 100% <laughs> i think that's the first time that's ever happened. <laughs> so, so anyway, sorry, Paris. Uh, we'll we'll go back to you, right? He 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 says this thing 
that uh, let's say kicks off a uh, an exodus of uh, advertisers, right? Another exodus of advertisers. Absolutely. You know, a, a bunch of the major ones that were left, basically, you know, Disney, Warner, Paramount, Asylum Basketball. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. Um, but, you know, all of these kind of big companies, even Linda Yaccarino's former employer, um, you know, Comcast, which owns MSN or uh, NBC Universal, you know, they were all they all exited as a result of this, because at the same time, the following day, there was a story that came out from Media Matters that basically said that. Um, all of these companies' ads were being run next to posts that were praising Hitler and praising the Nazis and all this kind of stuff, right? Which is oh, like, fuck, surprise, they're on Hindu surprise. Twitter. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it's it's also like, um, you know, Linda Yaccarino has been going around now for months saying like, we have all of these tools that are designed to ensure that advertisers are protected, that their content won't appear next to all this like terrible shit that we're letting back on the platform. And it, it's been clear that that is like total bullshit. It's not true. Those tools do not exist. Um, but she'll go out there and say it because I'm sure someone in, in Twitter is feeding it in her ear. Um, if I can just say, my yeah. favorite Linda Yaccarinoism is at the all. I, I'm a huge yak head. Of course, I am a yak. <laughs> we, know, we know this about you. I, yeah. am, I am an absolute yakko. I'm a yakko mm. for Linda. Mm. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. My favorite of her um, ideas was when she got up in front of an all hands a couple weeks ago mm. and said, "Who's got any ideas for some revenue streams? Yeah. Anybody? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> a sandwich shop. Uh, <laughs> it's it's the Twitter version of the British um, solution to fixing public services by just finding people from the town. Uh, the yeah. one guy who makes money for Twitter. Yeah, then. yeah. Twitter, yeah. Twitter is sort of like a, a massive like loss maker on ads, but it's all made back made back by one halal card. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's right. Yeah. So all these ad uh, advertisers pull out. Mm. Uh, Shawarma. It all happens yeah. on X. Elon realizes that like, he's now um, he's arguing with the ADL. Uh, he's being mm. sued. He is suing Media Matters now yeah, for their article. For the crime of making him look bad. Yeah, indeed. And so, what does he do to repair his reputation in the eyes of advertisers? Uh, well, I mean, this is the thing, right? It, what would you, if you were an extremely anti-Semitic man who was being accused of anti-Semitism? do to try and rescue your reputation. You would go, to, go Israel. to Israel. You would, you would <laughs> yeah. immediately go to Israel. Of course. And be like, I like these guys. These are the tough ones. Unlike the, the woke ones who are like doing great replacement. Yeah. yeah. Indeed. <laughs> Again, this is not uh, like liking Israel. Something anti-Semites do quite a lot of the time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, so Musk then had a summit with Netanyahu. Mm. Uh, Real brain trust yeah. there. A couple of guys mm. who deserve one another. Yeah. Um, Agreeing, quote, that Hamas needs Alarmingly to be... Alarmingly bold summit meeting. <laughs> yeah. <That> Hamas <laughs> needs to be eradicated, saying you have to get rid of this poisonous regime exactly as you did in Germany and Japan. Yes, in World War II, said Netanyahu, with Musk replying, there's no choice, repeating himself, there's no choice. He, again, kind of shades of the Trump thing where he believes the entire worldview of the last person he spoke to. Mm. Mm. Oh, I, th I think absolutely that's the case. Um, and then, all of that then culminated at a New York Times deal book summit mm. where he addressed this issue more directly. He, he was also wearing IDF dog tags. Again, Alice analysis. He was, uh, listen, I'm, I'm very no, good at true. noticing things that people wear yeah. around their necks. Liz Truss, when she went to the US to kill uh, Henry Kissinger, was also still wearing the day collar. But mm. um, no, uh, so at, when he went to Israel, they gave him a pair of IDF dog tags and he was like, I will wear these until Gaza is liberated or, from Hamas. Or Doge tanks. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and so, yeah, he's been wearing them since. Because uh, it's, mm. it's cool. Mm. Yeah. He's an epic army guy now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They should I, actually make Musk be in the IDF. I think that is how he can prove that he's not anti-Semitic. Mm, I think he should, yeah. he should tool up. Mm. We're, we're putting he, Elon Musk, like, he's riding on top of a Makava into Gaza City, into Khan Yunus. He skipped out on like the South African army to go to North America. So now he like, you know, yeah. needs the cosplay a little bit and another mm -hmm. apartheid army. So he's wearing his yeah. dog tags and stuff. Yeah. He I, should I, drive I, a cyber truck into Gaza. Yeah, it's famously impervious to small arms yeah. fire. So. It's, it's very funny to like kind of cherry pick the apartheid military you like based on what one color uniform they wear, and you don't like the SADF because it's like shit brown. So you go for like shit green instead. <laughs> mm. And you yeah. just don't look good in the shorts. No. So the IDF have a very like 50s looking ass uniform. It looks very old yeah. fashioned. Ask, ask me about the Mitznefet helmet yeah. covers, which looks mm. like a fucking chef hat. So, so after all of this, <laughs> 
after all of this, he goes on stage wearing his IDF dog tags yeah. at New York Times Dealbook. Give him a mitznefer. Um, being a, a basically being asked, uh, you know, hey, all the advertisers, including um, Bob Iger in the audience, are leaving the platform, and he just says, "Go fuck yourself." Before waving, "Hey, Bob," saying. If this advertising boycott goes ahead, it's going to kill the company. The whole world will know these advertisers killed the company and will document it in great detail. Yeah, he he said he said go fuck yourself. He said GFY, which is epic. And then mm. uh, the interviewer asked him, "Hey, uh, Lindy Yaccarino is here tonight, do, do, mm. and you're telling her that <laughs> got you, any message for the yakheads? Yeah, got any the message yakos? for the yakos? <laughs> and he's he he makes six seconds of scrambling noises, which I always appreciate. I I do that myself, and I'm trying to fill time. When he's like, ah, mm. yeah." Ooh, I, yeah, yeah, um, and they said, yeah, no, uh, maybe, maybe we'll just kill Twitter. Maybe you yeah. know, maybe, which you know, helpfully confirms that that was the plan all along, I guess. Uh, well, and I, I also like the um, again seeing the uh, responding to the suggestion that um, well, if, if if the advertisers pull out because mm. they don't like obviously being mm. having being the Hitler content, yeah, they don't like yeah, being yeah. advertised next to the Hitler stuff. Um, he says they'll kill the company. He says, "Let's see how Earth responds to that." Yeah. Again, showing I think that he 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 I think he believes he has been radicalized, as you say, not like a Peter Thiel person. He's yeah. now been radicalized like a Facebook commenter. Hundred percent. And the yeah. thing is, this is a man who saw a bunch of like Occupy Mars T-shirts a few years ago, and still believes deeply in his heart that he's popular. Mm. And mm. some things like kind of break the ice on that. When he got booed um, at that one gig, that made a dent in his psyche that made him even crazier when he finally internalizes that he, no one likes him this will break him this will like shatter yeah. his psyche when he loses the home county's dance yeah. slap side of <laughs> tesla fantastic no, no, bit no. Of kit, the, that the, will the, really the guy be... the guy he's worried about losing is the guy who was on twitter from day one has the at for, of like their first name so they're like at david yeah. Right. Uh, they were a blue tick. They paid for a blue tick. They've been wearing an Occupy Mars T-shirt since those came out. Uh, and you know they did the soy face when uh, he was a line in Star Trek. Uh, and if he loses that guy and he knows he's lost that guy, it's over for him. Mm -hmm. So the thing he's trying to do is carry that guy with him and make that guy go, yeah, you know what? These Jews, they're onto some great replacement shit. Mm. Now I, I think, think it's really clear that like he struggles with. Like, you know, he he's kind of created this bubble. He was used to, like, the media praising him all the time. And then they, I wouldn't say they turned on him, but they started to be a bit more critical. And so he had to find something else that was going to, like, you know, praise him all the time. And so his Twitter feed became that. But you can also see that whenever it kind of breaks into his bubble that people actually hate him, like, he, he struggles immensely with that. There was a story this in... same thing mm. happened with Trump. Trump yeah, totally. used to get that from magazines, then he got it from his own Twitter feed, and it, it yeah. sent him into a really dark place, becoming president. I think you know when a lot more sort of, of the respectable uh, media started to turn on Elon is when he broke their toy. Yeah. It's when he yeah. broke Twitter. Mm. They were like, mm. I loved this, I had my little check, and you took it away from me, you fucker. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, it was I love like, tweeting, hashtag mutual Monday. <laughs> it, it was like a, a slow progression, right? Because there was a bit of it with like the tech lash stuff. And then over time, as he got more involved in the in the Trump stuff and started to become a bit more right wing, like there was a bit more kind of criticism of him, a bit more reporting on, you know, how he treats his workers at Tesla and SpaceX and whatnot, um, you know, his regulatory evasion and all those sorts of things. But then, of course, when he bought Twitter and, you know, fucked up Twitter, that, you know, essentially turned the media on him in a, in a much broader scale. But there's a story in um, Breaking Twitter, this new book that came out that I hear is not that great. I haven't actually read it. But the author explained that um, I think it was after the uh, after he was booed at the comedy show, he yeah. like locked himself in a room at Twitter and the workers were like going to call the police to come do a wellness check on him because they thought he was like harming himself. Please God let SFP do do a wellness check on Elon Musk and have him come to the door with the fake Gears of yeah. War pistol yeah. he has. We've, uh, we've, we've transferred Sheriff Joe uh, to San Francisco. <laughs> now, you've got to send a uh, crack team SWAT fucking uh, Ed Sheeran and Prince Harry in there. There's a bloke that needs checking in yeah, on. I am going to need the Bay Area's most uh, trigger trigger happiest cops. We got we know. have Steven Seagal in, in, a, yeah, in a surplus yeah, yeah. demolishing one wall <laughs> of the ex office. <laughs> you know, so Elon he would love Musk. that. 
Yeah, I think we could on his check on Elon Musk. Let's hope he's not got a dog in there. <laughs> yeah, uh, <laughs> your Seagal is a little Trumpy. Yeah. Uh, I would say Seagal is yeah. a little. They sent me to do a wellness check. Okay, he's having a little cry in his little room. <laughs> I said, Elon, hello, hello, it's me, Donald. You're gonna let me in? He's not gonna let me in, folks. He's scared. He's scared in there. He won't. He doesn't want me back on Twitter. He wishes I was on there. Actually, he would love. He would love it if I'd come back. He's crying. He's crying because he misses me, isn't he, folks? <laughs> Should so, we check on Elon? Shall I bring him out? Yeah. <laughs> and he's just, got like a fucking like a latex puppet of Elon Musk. <laughs> All right, let's bring out the little crybaby. Yeah. I just I just think that it's a real it's a really pleasurable turn that Elon's uh, like security team of ex Navy SEAL psychos. The mm. person that they're having to watch their boss against the threat to him is probably now himself. Yeah. <laughs> so mm. I think we can trace. All of this oddness into Musk's past, which is something yeah, that he's, he's South African. Before mm-hmm. we detour to the past, though, yes, just please. unlike the Israel stuff, to to kind of um, cap that off, I, I think I would also note that, like in the Deal Book interview, like the clip that went around was, of course, the um, you know the go fuck yourself to the advertisers. But he was also like very clearly saying that like all pro Palestinian protests are pro Hamas protests, and mm-hmm. it's ridiculous that. Um, there are Jewish groups that are funding the pro Hamas protests, and like, yeah, how many you know, just, dog tags do they have? Yeah, just repeating like all the craziest shit that he's you know got in trouble about, and he's you know, been he, reading some British government press release. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he he did go to Israel, like to he says it's not an apology tour. It clearly is, but I would say that this trip was probably in the works before his anti-Semitic tweets, because before that. He had tweeted or said or whatever that he was considering offering Starlink service to humanitarian groups in Gaza because Israel had cut off their internet connections. And then Netanyahu and like the Israeli government freaked out and contacted him about it. And when he was in Israel, he said very clearly that the only way Starlink would be activated in Gaza is if the Israeli government approved it. So mm-hmm. that was like in the works already, but I think it was probably the timeline was moved up. Um, he, he's because, sort of tweeting, you know, yeah. we'll, we'll allow Starlink to do some humanitarian stuff. And Netanyahu's in his reply is like, uh, please give me a call. I know this is not your heart. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love you, but I cannot support this. Yeah. Give me a doll, uh, he, rather. It is, yeah. it is a sort give of interesting. It is interesting that uh, what happens when you give. This one sort of mercurial uh, sort of suck up access to what has turned out to be controlling what has turned out to be kind of an important thing for geopolitics. Yeah, uh, I'm sure nothing will come of that. Well, I mean, no. that or like commercial space flight or yeah. a bunch of like early electric car infrastructure. Nah, it's fine. Oh, it'll be fine. Anyway, don't worry about it. So yeah, I don't. And uh, speaking of which, uh, just private sector is other... more efficient anyway, so it's all good. <laughs> mm. Other bits of the interview that I think actually stood out as well. Uh, and this is going to sort of um, play on some of the stuff that we talk about about his history uh, is he says, um, I've done more for the environment than any other person on Earth. <laughs> I love uh, that line. Wow. <laughs> uh-huh. What the fuck is David Attenborough chopped liver? Yeah, yeah that is that is very <laughs> Trumpian, actually. Mm. Yeah, I've done more for the environment than anyone else. You can ask the president of France. He yeah, agrees. But he would back it up by saying something funny about <laughs> yeah. whales and, and windmills. He yeah, wouldn't just true, like yeah. say, oh, it's because of the cyber truck, which is lame and sucks. The Dutch hate the whales. Yeah. And also uh, on unions saying, I don't like anything which creates a kind of lords and peasants kind of thing. The unions create negativity in the company. Everyone's You're a lord. A billionaire. What are you talking about? <laughs> yeah. You're literally he's, a lord and you have peasants. He's, his peasants are revolting a bit in, um, in the Nordics. Yeah, in the Nordics, where, where where solidarity strikes are legal, and you know where the Nordics are the only place where solidarity strikes are legal, because they fucking work. So yeah. a solidarity strike is okay. Tesla workers are on strike. Uh, the unionized like garbage collectors won't pick up mm. the garbage. Uh, the unionized postal workers won't deliver the mail. Uh, any unionized activity that comes into contact with that strike, it like it ends mm. as long as the mm. strike goes on. Uh, and this absolutely, uh, th- this works. This kills the boss. You know what else is very funny? What you know else what is the very world's funny? He's suing mo- the Swedish postal system now as well. You know what <laughs> the world's most, the world's largest consumer of Teslas for the longest time has been? No. The Nordics. 
He's he's lost he's lost one of those he's lost the guy whose at is like Sven. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He has lost he has lost at Sven, yeah. who is like he's a, lost Sven Joran Eriksson, who yeah, is yeah, yeah. who who wears a roll neck and and square frame glasses. Yeah, but because yeah. at Sven is potentially quite nice depending on what country he's from. Icelandic mm. Sven. It owns like a restaurant that like gives back to the community a bit. Mm. Swedish Sven is a fucking psycho. But if he's losing Swedish Sven, then mm. he- serious, serious problems. Uh, My so- Cybertruck is stuck in the fjord. <laughs> so- <laughs> and your customer service is doing nothing about it. So, so- uh, my restaurant is going on strike. You've you've probably done more open source research um, on than anyone on Elon Musk's personal life, background, etc. For better um, or worse, who, yeah. For better mm-hmm. or worse, who isn't um, being, I'd say, paid by him or someone close to him to write a book. Is that fair to say? Someone should pay me, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mm. And so uh, with bearing all of that in mind, this sort of, this strangeness that I think is well documented by us and others, but especially demonstrated in the events of the last few weeks, um, and the sort of ongoing crashing of Twitter, let's talk about his the history of his life and family, starting with... Joshua Norman Haldeman, who was not the inaudible Haldeman, um, uh, yeah. and his beliefs in technocracy. Yeah, um, so this is Elon Musk's grandfather. He is from Canada, um, but of course moved to South Africa. That's why Elon Musk mm. you know, grew up there, of course, uh, right after apartheid started, I should say. Um, but Got to get in on the ground floor. Yeah, yeah, totally. You know, they're doing some racism over there. I got to check that out. Mm. Um But anyway, so he is this like kind of wild figure. He's a chiropractor, all this kind of stuff. Um, He gets he's during the Great Depression. um, I believe he like loses his farm or like has quite a bad time and becomes super radicalized as a result of that. Um, So he joins this technocracy movement, which, you know, we know what technocracy is generally. But in North America, there was this specific group called Technocracy Incorporated, um, which he joined and was a part of that essentially believed, you know, there should be no government, that everything should be run by experts, you know, by engineers, stuff like that. Um, But it also believed that they should create this thing called the technate, which would be this kind of state that encompassed everything from northern south america through to canada yeah <laughs> and uh it's just it's know, so weird to me to move specifically from 20th century canada to south africa like you have apartheid <laughs> at home not not good enough it's not actually. as good he, though he, yeah <laughs> It, he yeah. like Canada's too he ash- Canada Canada play acts that it's ashamed of its apartheid. I it's not see, proud of it. I see. Mm. Yeah. yeah. I, I don't know if it was doing that in like the what the Oh no, not then. Been. No. Yeah. But it, even more then, recently we do that. Yeah. yeah, he like if if he was alive today, Elon Musk's grandfather, he would have said that the Canadian government was too woke and that's why he was moving to South Africa. Mm. Like I can't remember the exact language, but um, he was basically saying that like the Canadian government was too soft and stuff like that and he needed to go somewhere else. Um, but this man, like I was speaking to Ira Basin, who is a documentary producer at CBC, which is the Canadian public broadcaster. And he was basically telling me that like he wasn't sure if Haldeman really believed in like the specific kind of political program of Technocracy Incorporated. He was just like super anti-government, um, like super libertarian and was joining whatever group kind of had some opposition to government stuff because um, he later joined what was called the social credit movement in Canada, which was kind of like a quasi fascist movement um, that, you know, hated the government that wanted to privatize a bunch of shit that was like crazy religious, you know, all this kind of stuff. Um, and when he moved to South Africa, um, one of the crazy stories that I found in reading about him was that Jewish groups in South Africa actually sent letters to Jews who they knew in Canada to be like, should we be worried that this guy is moving here? Because he was interviewed by like basically a neo-Nazi newspaper um, about how he was moving to Canada or how he was moving to South Africa and like what he was into over there. And then like as his life progress progresses in South Africa, he writes these like crazy anti-Semitic and like super racist like tracts and books and things like that. Um, so this is like the man who, you know, uh, Elon Musk comes from. And the reason why it's significant 
because many people would say like, oh, you know, it's his grandfather. You can't blame him for his past. And, you know, he died when Elon Musk was like three or four years old. But in the biographies that have been written of Elon Musk, it's very clear, it's made very clear that Elon Musk sees his grandfather as a great kind of inspiration. Um, and so you wonder kind of what aspects of his grandfather he's uh, well, particularly inspired by. I'd also say, by the way, just another note on Haldeman is he was not, even though he believed in rule by engineers, he was not himself an engineer. Yeah. He was a... Something in common with Elon. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Shocking. He, w he was a chiropractor. Uh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> it's so early to be a chiropractor. I feel like yeah. the 1930s. Like that's really like it's old school, like Rube Goldberg type chiropractic. You know, yeah. like he like was like piano, head of the Canadian chiropractic mm. society or something. Like he was yeah. up there, like really pushing yeah. it. Mm. He he, but he was, and of course, Canadian listeners will be unsurprised to know they were from Alberta. Uh, mm. yeah, so but, I think it was like Saskatchewan or Manitoba or something. It was I out think, west. It was in the prairies. Yeah, he was. He was out from from out west. I th actually, um, I think he was like between some of the prairie provinces. So I think at one point it was Alberta, and then I think he was in Saskatchewan or Manitoba or something. Worse than Albertan, inconsistently yeah. Albertan. <laughs> oh yeah, I go around all the prairies doing adjustments yeah. and the like, <laughs> dropping cows on folks. You know. <laughs> no, um, and specifically, um, by 1960, he wrote a paper called "The International Conspiracy to Establish a World Dictatorship and the Menace to South Africa." That and you quote this in your in your series, Paris, that predicted an outside invasion by hordes of puppet of of colored people who were the puppets of an international conspiracy, which ended with a list of anti-Semitic readers. Invasion reading. of hordes of colored people to <laughs> South Africa. Yeah. What, what is this man smoking? This is quite impressive. Yeah. He seems to he seems to have a lot of historical things a little bit backwards. Yeah, mm. but well, see also the invasion of a load of Arabs to Israel. Mm. Indeed. Yeah. Uh, Where did they come from? We cannot know, say. Very, but very sort of you know, um, let's say parallels. Yeah, yeah. In uh, specific so beliefs, it rhymes. It's like poetry. Yeah, yeah, indeed. And so we talk, but we talk about you know, um, Elon Musk, as you say, Paris. He sees himself as as his grandfather, his maternal uh, that's grandfather. Fucked up. Also, are we sure yeah. there isn't a kind of like bodies, like time travel situation going on here? <laughs> I'm gonna need to see the portrait side by side. Um. So this is this this is the but this uh, very influential, forceful man, uh, abusive father. Oh really? Um, what a surprise! Lives in mm. again very sort of inconsistent stories coming from him and his father about just how much money they had from the emerald mine they own in apartheid mm. South Africa. To be fair, it is very difficult to prove a meaningful difference between beating your kids and doing chiropractic adjustments on them. <laughs> like, we can't like what what do chiropractors do other than like kick people down the stairs and whatever? Like I mean, it's pretty it's pretty close. Well, Elon knows from getting kicked down the stairs, but we'll get to that. Yeah. Yeah. So, I think the uh, the other influence that you cite on his early life is his love of science fiction, mm. um, specifically Hitchhiker's and Found mm. Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy and Foundation. So, Paris, how does this, how does his very odd reading of science fiction kind of influence much of his later beliefs? Yeah, I, I think people will recognize this from just having kind of seen Elon Musk over the past number of years, but. He's a very kind of awkward, socially awkward and socially kind of inept dude, right? And that goes way back to his childhood. Like he was not a particularly kind of social person. And so he retreated into computers again, you know, because his family had money and they could afford to buy him uh, computers, his father in particular. Um, but he also retreated into <laughs> let's books. Not, let's not say that that's a bad <laughs> thing about... <laughs> no, but you Somebody. know, like he at the time when he was growing up, you know, computers would have been a much rarer thing. Um, mm. to be around, right? And so, you know, while, I don't know, his friends were doing whatever they were doing in South Africa, he was kind of learning coding and all this kind of stuff um, because mm. he wasn't a very social person. And then beyond that, he was into books and science fiction books in particular. And I spoke to Annalee Newitz, who is a science journalist and science fiction author. And she basically told me that like the kind of science fiction he was into was really this kind of golden age science fiction, you know, written by these, you know, particular white men with particular ideas of how society should be. And he never really, you know, as he grew older and stuff, really branched out into other types of science fiction for the most part, right? Society, um, if Elon Musk was into Ian M. Banks and Terry Pratchett instead of <laughs> Douglas Adams and Isaac Asimov. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but... But so basically, you know, he is reading these books. Some of them are like particularly critical of, you know, the type of society that we would live in now. The, you know, the, the fact that there's someone like him that exists that's a billionaire, but he's not pulling those particular things from it. He's kind of pulling the more aesthetic pieces of, of what this might look like. You know, the fact that people are living in space, 
you know, all this kind of stuff. But then for me, especially, and you know, I haven't read all these science fiction books, so maybe it's part of the reason this one stands out is because I've read it and I can see. It's a lot like the Jetsons. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. But like, there's also Foundation, and this is one that Elon Musk cites in particular when when it comes to SpaceX and kind of you know, I guess the generally the the story of Foundation is like there's this man called Harry Seldon. He predicts that this empire is going to go through this like really dark period for what hundreds or thousands of years or whatever. And he thinks that if like particular actions are taken, the dark period won't be avoided and there will still be like collapse of civilization and stuff, but it won't last as long. And so he's trying to like puppet, you know, the the galaxy or whatever to ensure that, you know, the, the dark period doesn't last as long as it could. And Elon Musk cites this a lot when he talks about SpaceX and like the need to colonize Mars and all this sort of stuff. Like he sees himself as someone who is trying to like um, shape the future of humanity and like figure out what our future should be because he doesn't really have like these more material concerns that most people are dealing with. And I think it's particularly worrying to have someone like that kind of trying to shape our future, whether or not he's successful at it. Mm. Well, yeah, if you're poor, why, why are you not getting emeralds out of your mine? Yeah, <laughs> pretty simple, really. Like when you need more money, you just go to the mine, you get some of the emeralds out, and you sell them. He was working on a sort of Minecraft economy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He he thinks he thinks that like having an emerald mine is like kind of having like a subsistence croft, and whenever you need more money, you just go down into your little emerald mine, and you take. You know, you live in an emerald economy. Everyone's got emeralds. Mm-hmm. So, what he does. So basically, this with kind of the um almost like fasci- fascistic messianism more or less, mm. born of his various early obsessions with his grandfather, sci-fi, and so on. Yeah, and I would say uh, don't forget the influence of growing up under apartheid. Like, he would indeed, say that yeah. Nez- hasn't affected him and that he didn't support it. It's very clear it shapes how he sees the world, especially with the shit he's saying these days. Indeed. Um, so, as you say, right, skips out on the, on, on the draft, comes to Canada. Uh, I do want to mention yes. the thing, just to just to do the callback about this. He got horribly bullied at school <laughs> to the point of getting kicked down the stairs by another kid. Uh, yeah, Jack Vanderklerk. Yeah, yeah, and his dad had to like go to the school, I guess, and be like, "Stop kicking my shitty kid down the stairs. That's, That's my, my job." job. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, only I can fuck up yeah. my son's spine by kicking him down yeah, a flight of stairs. His back's never been better. <laughs> yeah, did you just realign my son's fucking chakras? Yeah. No. Uh, so, but the good thing about that story is. That Elon Musk tells it, and it's written in Ashley Vance's version of the biography and Isaacson's, that, you know, he was kicked down the stairs, he was bullied at school, you know, all this kind of stuff, and his dad didn't care, and, you know, it shows how, like, evil and terrible his dad is. And then his dad tells the story, and there's a detail that Elon Musk leaves out of the story, and that's that the kid Elon Musk, or the kid who kicked Elon Musk down the stairs, his father had actually killed himself, you know, had committed suicide. And Elon Musk was making fun of the kid because his dad had committed suicide. And that's why he kicked him down the stairs. It's like, it's probably an important detail to know. Like, is it okay to kick a kid down the stairs? Maybe, maybe not. Um, but he like, was not simply minding his own business yeah, at the top yeah, yeah. of the staircase. And this, and this which is the way he tells it. Spartan kicks him off the <laughs> yeah. top of the fucking building. I was, just, I was just doing math for fun at the top <laughs> of the staircase yeah. when a, when a when a big bully comes and and just leaps up and two foot kicks me down the stairs <laughs> for being smart and awkward <laughs> and it was just like you, Scotty Sven. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah the, so the standing confidently at the top of the stairs, going, "Why? Why did your dad kill himself? Probably because he doesn't have an emerald mine." <laughs> I, I think, like, if he'd had an emerald mine, he probably wouldn't have needed to kill himself. He probably could have paid someone to do it. <laughs> So, yeah, and then they go from that to their kind of like apartheid drill of what if there's a sort of like, uh, you know, black uprising and we all get killed. Black danger, that was called. Very healthy society, mm-hmm. very normal, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, I had to kick this guy down the stairs. He is making fun of my father who killed himself because of what he saw in Angola, okay? Look, <laughs> what he did in 3-2 Battalion was for us. <laughs> Look, yeah, that, that kid's dad was in covert. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> he was... Yes, he went to jail in Equatorial Guinea, but he was a political prisoner. <laughs> yeah, no, <laughs> that's just some good. <laughs> um, so he he goes to university and ends up getting an internship at Scotiabank uh, before then uh, joining a company called Zip2, which was essentially a software licensing company. Co-founded that, um, or founded or yeah, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. 
but uh, in a sense, but essentially, Elon, as I am given to understand it, kind of um, mismanaged it more or less into the ground, and it was saved because Compaq bought it at a huge overvaluation. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. We love you know, the dot com bubble. The board gave him the boot first because uh, Elon was the CEO, and you know well, he the did first time have he's been given like an boot. independent board. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but you know it, it was at a time when he didn't have the power to like control the board, right? Because today, sure, his mm. companies have boards, but you know they're totally enthralled to whatever he wants. Well, they Vari- know, various they know, Yaccarini. They know that what they're selling is him. Yeah. Yeah. Right? He's at totally. the board meeting and it's like fucking like Blofeld's meetings in, <laughs> in Spectre. And, he, and yeah. he's like, like, great to be here at the board meeting. I will, but why am I sat in the only chair at the top of a staircase? I'm confused. <laughs> why, why has the door been left open? Why are you wearing very big shoes? <laughs> <laughs> I do like the idea that he's got all of the chairs around his conference table. I'm thinking him as Blofeld are at the tops of staircases. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, you press a button and the chair like tips <laughs> and just really like life defining. Yeah. But so mm-hmm. he he gets into the business this way, right, Paris? He 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 start he, he starts this company and then uh, it it gets purchased. Yeah. He has and a lot of money. He goes to Canada because yeah. you know mm-hmm. uh, his mother because of his grandfather has Canadian citizenship, so he can get in there a lot easier. Then from it's there, he uses that. Yeah. 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 Then from there, he uses that to jump off into the US, you know, to go to university there. Um, and yeah, then he starts his companies and like, you know, starts to build himself up, right? And I think what we, what is, what is interesting is that very quickly after Zip2, or sorry, at, at Zip2, you can sort of see him start wanting to be the public face of a company. That's all he really mm-hmm. wants, mm-hmm. is to be a kind of celebrity businessman, but without the juice of Donald Trump. Absolutely. Um, and we see then sort of him saying, we want to revolutionize money with X. And that's when he starts getting obsessed with starting a company called X that will yeah, be a payment. The first X, company. yeah, to yeah, be clear. The first X. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, um, when you when you look at Zip2 and, and like that era, you know, he was deposed, he was kicked out by the board because he was mismanaging the place, because he was treating employees like shit, which is, you know, a story that continues throughout the, the companies that he continues to found, but ends up getting downplayed as his star continues to rise, right? And the stories that come out of that period, you know, when you go back and look at them are basically that. You know, he wanted to be the face of this company. Even when he was taken down as CEO, he was still asking the board, like, but can I still do interviews and, and can I still represent the company like in the media? Um, and and they're like, no, you can't, Elon. And then they, you know, organized this sale to Compaq, which, you know, uh, by all accounts is incredibly overvalued for what the company actually was. But then in Jimmy Sony's book, The Founders, he spoke to someone who knew Elon in this period as well, who says that you would go into Elon Musk's bedroom and it was basically just stacked with books about business leaders, like people like Richard Branson, because he was trying to learn like what they did to build up their personas, right? Because he wanted to emulate it and he wanted the media to start paying attention to him. And after Zip2, when he has this kind of influx of cash, the millions of dollars he gets from that sale, he really does start to try to cultivate this, right? CNN notably covers the delivery of his McLaren F1, um, which he spent a ton of money on and then totaled the following year with no insurance. Um, Is this the one where he totaled it with Peter Thiel? That's right, yeah. (laughs) Peter Thiel was like, what can this do? And Elon Musk said something like, let me show you, and then like hit the gas and flip the car over. <laughs> Following in the footsteps of Rowan Atkinson, there weirdly another man who's totaled a McLaren F1. To be fair, the McLaren F1, one of the most totalable cars in existence. It's like, what if you gave people what is essentially an F1 car with no traction control and allowed yeah. rich idiots to drive it on the road? Turns out, <laughs> not not good results. Mm. Uh, maybe it's like a, a a secret McLaren, secret communist organization. Yeah, Along maybe with every helicopter manufacturer. It's possible. That's right. Yeah, Be- Bell Helicopter actually mm. only wanted to prosecute the war in Vietnam so they could stop it. Uh, so, so, but we, we get to the celebrity businessman um, era, which essentially is coterminous with him in being at PayPal. That's when then this starts, first starts getting successful, and you can see him trying to build a persona for himself, mm. right? It's where it's also where you he starts building the um, reputation that gets him mentioned in like the Iron Man movies, which I'm sure he was very pleased about. Mm-hmm. Um, mm. And it's you also got a cameo in one. Indeed, yeah, the second one. Uh, and I, I want to talk about and how Donald Trump has to settle for Home Alone too. <laughs> <laughs> Again, weird parallels. Yeah, 
And I, you I know, wanna... to be clear about like the X stuff when he's starting that company, like he starts it and then Peter Thiel and Max Levchin start Confinity, which is a separate company that creates PayPal, right? And Elon Musk's thing is he's going to revolutionize the financial sector. He's going to break the Dodd-Frank rules and bring like investment banking and retail banking together, like all this kind of stuff. And his vision does not work out. But they have the same investor, Sequoia, which is invested in both X and Confinity and basically forces them to merge. And over time, Elon Musk's product gets sidelined. And again, he gets ousted as CEO because he's fucking up the company and he's making terrible decisions and he treats people like crap. Um, and Peter Thiel comes back in and PayPal becomes central. He organizes the sale. And then, you know, Elon Musk again gets a big payout because he had a big chunk of the company from starting X. Um, and then he uses that money to start investing in SpaceX and Tesla and really kind of ratcheting up that reputation, right? He keeps, mm. he keeps failing upwards. Oh, totally. Absolutely. It, it's, he did one successful thing once, which is founded a software company at the beginning of, a, of the dot-com bubble. Yep. Not even a good one. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All he did mm -hmm. was start the right kind of company at roughly the right time. Yeah, it's like us with this podcast. <laughs> you know, ripples. We haven't felt all of them. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, it's even, when, like, even when Tesla and SpaceX are failing... Like the government steps in to help him then, right? Because he's built up so much of this reputation. Like under the Obama administration, Tesla gets a massive loan um, in 2010 to kind of save it from what's going on in that period and how much they're fucking up the Model S um, kind of process of, of designing that. And then SpaceX as well um, is basically going to crash, but then it gets all these kind of public contracts um, so that it can sustain itself, right? Mm. I, I want to talk about that fandom because that really comes back around to what we were talking about initially, right? Which is that the fandom is the thing that protects the businesses. And by getting people to vie for his attention, you know... Like, the, the, the ablative heat shield of at Sven. Yeah, exactly. Mm. He, and I think that people vie for his attention because at Sven, mm. right, or at David, yeah. right, this class of person requires a positive vision of the future that they can easily imagine mm -hmm. and other sort of various like yeah occupy mars middle but a lot of like middle class sensible people they want to they're very troubled about global warming for example sure. they don't want to give up the car and they yeah. don't really want a train being built well, and they Have also you... need a car that they can talk about with other dads yes. and agree that it's a fantastic this, piece of kit this is a major part of it have you read the oatmeals comic about uh how he owns a tesla that's a foundational document of the Elon Musk mythos. Oh, the oatmeal really takes me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, the guy did, uh, Matthew Inman, did a long comic about how cool the Tesla he owns is uh, and about how it's like a spaceship that you can drive. And that's, that was the guy. That's mm -hmm. the guy. That's the American Sven. Mm -hmm. It's and a guy who did a webcomic at the right time in the same way that Elon Musk did a dot-com company at the right time well, or, God willing, we did a podcast at the right time. The whole, mm -hmm. What we see again and again, right, is that Elon is also one of a very small number of people who is publicly and loudly talking about the future. Yeah. Mm. Um, yeah. And he's articulating for these people a positive vision of the future because it allows all of the sort of processes that we know are negative, let's say, uh, that they like, or that they're comfortable mm. with to continue. Yeah, but I mean, previously, if you wanted a futurist, your options were like Ray Kurzweil, right? And and yeah. Ray Kurzweil sort of was in this position where he was like, he was quite corporate, and also he did the thing that Elon then did of getting discredited a bunch of times by being like, you know, we're going to go to space and colonize Mars by 2010, uh, and then 2010 rolls around, and you say 2015, and so on and so on and so on. When it's Elon like the Jehovah's Witnesses of futurism, exactly, yeah. exactly. <laughs> but when when Elon does that, he uh, is able to sell it better because he's. Mm better at doing that you know mm. and but i i think really like the reason that he has this fandom that people vie for his attention mm. is that when they is that for a long time he managed to get himself associated with a positive vision of the future for people who like being upper class mm. uh, but Dri who consider drive, themselves nice drive the car that's a spaceship yeah yeah, totally. well, of course, also, it's this sort of, like, epic bacon type stuff where he just yeah. comes out and he just says stuff that, like, appeals that's to, like, more, very middle-brow people. That's more recent. That's more... And, and, and the reason well, I... It, but I yeah. think it goes back quite a long way. I can remember, wasn't it, like, kind of 2015, 2016 when he kept going on about how we all live in a simulation or whatever, yeah. which is now... Yeah. Which was a classic mid-brow opinion of the, just, like, I haven't heard of Karl Popper. Elon <laughs> Musk says we live in a simulation. We must. Yeah, hmm. the, the, the <laughs> Tesla model numbers going, like, S3XY as well. Um, yeah. But, it was epic. But, but if you go back as well, like much earlier, like Musk became the liberal darling, right? Because he was making the electric cars and the sexy electric cars, to be clear, because, you mm -hmm. know, before the kind of green car was the Prius, right? And it worked well and all that kind of stuff. 
but it wasn't sexy. It wasn't fast. It was more of like utility, right? It was more utilitarian. Um, but then Musk comes around and he, this is something Edward Niedermeyer describes really well. Um, you know, he basically designs a car for the tech class, right? Because there are all these cars designed to appeal to certain groups of people in society. And Elon Musk designs the one for tech, right? As tech is ascendant and also he has designed a car, car for a snarky sysadmin. Basically. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. he, he designed he designed a car for a guy at a company who will roll his eyes and call you a noob mm. <laughs> oh, yeah but right, you know on, he man. he does this and not only is he appealing to like tech people and you know he already has this kind of reputation around him but it also plays into democratic political priorities right as he right as sorry barack obama is coming into power and they're trying to push you know electric cars and all this kind of stuff is the neoliberal means of addressing climate change without really addressing climate change. Mm -hmm. And so he kind of gets taken as the figure who is going to like save the world, but also then he's paired with kind of um, the rockets and, you know, he's going to send us to Mars and he's thinking about this kind of great future at a time when we're coming out of this recession, when so many people are like struggling and, you know, can't find good jobs and blah, blah, blah. And Elon Musk is saying, well, the future is going to be amazing. Put your faith in me and the tech industry and all this kind of stuff mm. like you can see how people kind of buy into the con right and how he ends mm. up benefiting mm. from it and then once they buy into it there's a lot of people who actually put money into musk whether it's buying the cars or whether it's actually investing in the companies so that then you have a financial interest in seeing this man's star continue to rise as well and that benefited him immensely Truly, Elon Musk's aesthetic journey has been from 1337 to 1488. I think that's <laughs> something we can say with confidence. I, I, I want to sort of end on a question, which is how, how many more times do we have to push this man down the stairs? <laughs> which is how do you see with how he's looking right now? I think a few more pushes should be uh, good enough. How do, you, how do you see the kind of the conflict in, in Musk's priorities between the showman who needs to be well liked and wants to be a mm. famous businessman more than anything? The guy who was like, I don't care if you fire me. Let me keep doing interviews for the company. And, you know, the, the reactionary nerd who can't stop talking about racial IQ tests and is in his mind always being kicked down the stairs in apartheid South Africa. Like, how yeah. do you square those two things? Because they are come, those two personas used to be mm. sitting tidily together, each doing their own thing. We live in a simulation. The real Elon is still on the staircase. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's um, a dream of a future without stairs. <laughs> no, there will everyone will go over and lift. There will be no, and then like other nerds who've been kicked down the stairs with like they've got like a big com comic lump on their head. They're like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's but, what I want. But now, right, the, the, they are threatening one another. What is basically. a rocket if not a big lift? Right, these right. two sides of him are threatening one another. But I think right? this right-wing reactionary side was for a long time downplayed, right? Because I think that that kind of emerges when you know liberals basically start to turn on him right when the media starts to report more critically on him and he needs to find some other means of kind of filling the void of narcissism that exists within himself right he needs these people who are going to praise him constantly and you know he finds that in twitter yes but as kind of the democrats and as people you know not on the left but as you know kind of centrists and liberals start to criticize him more and more he needs to find that group of people who are still going to praise him incessantly and he finds that not just in his cult of course but also in the right where people are more than happy to embrace him more than happy to praise him and hold him up as long as he's mm -hmm. going to support you know their political positions their political candidates and i think that he also had this kind of you know, if you go back to the early 2010s, he's still talking about this population shit. He's just not being so like directly racist about it, even though the subtext of racism is there, right? It's not kind of defining him in the way that it is today. And so I think it also kind of like it unleashed him in a sense, but, mm -hmm. you know, he also needed that to fill the void within himself. And so, yes, he wants to be the celebrity. Yes, he wants to be well liked. But as long as he can surround himself with this kind of bubble of people who love him, he doesn't see, I think, to a certain degree that he's really turning off like many more people than he realizes and is threatening himself and his companies in ways he doesn't realize. I think it also comes back to the fact, as you say, that his model of existing is to be surrounded by people that constantly boost him and then yeah. boost him to others. The, the line in the interview that actually really stuck out to me was when he talked about, well, we're fuck you, Disney. We're boycott you're boycotting us. Everyone's going to hate you. And by the way, everyone's turning away from you anyway. Yeah, um, because he again, 
he because it is in his interest to believe that like Disney went woke and is now going broke. And so therefore, we don't want their advertising dollars anyway, because that's the direction that that blast off is taking. The problem mm. is, is again, this is again, I, I have no problem saying fuck you to Disney. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Come on. Are you an anti-Semite or do you hate Disney? <laughs> Pick one. <laughs> <laughs> right. That's no problem. But it just from the pure business logic of it. Right. He's aligning with the um, he's aligning with the financial interests of like Matt and Mercedes Schlapp, who made the Disney documentary that we watched with yeah. um, with Matt, with um, Mike and Jesse. Right. Many moons ago. Right. He's that is the new audience. And they don't have the kind of money that at Dave has. You know, they, it's all they, Elon. They may they, they those guys they have enough to fund the Schlaps to make a documentary. They don't have the combined spending power of all of at Dave at Sven and their equivalents around the world. They don't have the combined investing power of companies that are of people who are who buy into the the the, the story and are interested in in, in working with him. Do, doing remedial unionism on the sort of like upper class tech guys to be like, there's only one Elon Musk and there's a lot of you. <laughs> Showing them the illustration of the like little many little fish coming together to like chase away the big fish, the, the many biggish fish. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we are many. Uh, Elon is one. We we are comparatively many. Yeah, we are yeah. in this situation a number. Yeah, Ge German guy who's like at Dorian on Twitter, who's like who's like, oh, warum my neue Mercedes schlaps. <laughs> yeah, das Mercedes schlappt mir so. <laughs> so I think that's a good yeah. enough. I think that's a good enough place to to leave it for today. Uh, but Paris, if people want to hear more about Elon Musk unmasked, where can they they go to hear not just the summaries of the quotes that you provided us, but the quotes <laughs> themselves? Mm. Uh, you know, anywhere, anywhere they listen to this, I'm sure. Uh, you know, on whatever podcast platform, Vine Tech won't save us, and you know, scroll back to October, and you'll find the series there. Yeah, get onto Truth Social and uh, yeah. follow Tech Won't Save Us on Get on there. Truth That's my Social top platform these days. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, wait a minute. Comcast is advertising. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. The silent basketball, they're gone. They're oh, on yeah. Twitter now. Yeah. Anyway, Paris, thank you very much for uh, for um, coming on today. Do check out Tech Won't Save Us. Mm. And also, don't forget, this is a free episode, but there are paid mm -hmm. ones. There are. There are paid ones, and you can listen to them by going on Patreon and paying $5 a month. Uh, for First 100 sign-ups this month, get a free silent basketball. <laughs> legally, you cannot pronounce it. So but. silent, you may not even be able to find yeah, it. A yeah. silent, invisible, and weightless basketball. <laughs> the basketball is not detectable by conventional means. <laughs> no, that's right. The, the emperor's new hoops. Yeah, um, that's right. Yeah, so uh, do check that out. And of course, got some cunty earrings. <laughs> all of yeah, that's right. All of the usual links, of course, as well in the description. Uh, and otherwise, we will see you in a couple of days on the bonus episode. Also, for Left on Red heads, mm. yes, the second $10 Left on Red is late this month. That's because I had a bad tummy. It's coming soon. We are, mm. we are sorry. Yes. Riley does not normally spend yeah. this much time shitting. That's right. From Left on Red bereft of bread, the, the Riley Quinn story. Also, me, tour dates, uh, January 26th, Rotterdam, and 27th, Amsterdam. Uh, those tickets are on sale. Uh, Amsterdam in particular is kind of a small venue, so do get on that early and often. Also, Australia in March and April. Uh, those tickets aren't officially on sale yet, but keep an eye out. The Dams tour. Okay. That's right. All right. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye. See ya. Thank you.